one. Should I just start? Sure. Should we just? I think it. I think I start. Okay, I'm fine with you starting. All right, welcome to Why Did You Read That? A podcast. A podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you read that? Question mark colon a podcast, starring Megan and Peter and Peter. <laughs> um, You've probably been here before, though. Probably. Yeah. Seems unlikely that you're starting with episode twenty seven, eight, something like that. If you are new, how'd you get here? How did you get here? Yeah. You've made a mistake. But you're welcome. You turn around to leave the alley you've walked down, but now you see a brick wall. (laughs) (laughs) We have books. Roll dice. Roll a D20 to see if you can uh, scale the wall (laughs) and escape this podcast. Um... So every every month ish on this podcast, we bring uh, four books apiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll talk briefly about the four I brought. Megan will pick two that she wants to hear about in depth. I will, and then Megan will do the same thing to me, for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then Peter will pick two. Exactly. And so you hear about eight books, four in depth. Yeah, four ideally. in depth, eight total. In about an hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's that's the format. And I tell a joke. And the joke is the one other part of the format. Yes. So I'm ready for the joke. Yeah. I picked this one just for you because I know you're a comic book guy. Mm, okay. All right. What's the difference between Iron Man and Aluminum Man? <laughs> I don't know. Iron Man stops the bad guys. Aluminum man just foils their plans. Oh, that I liked. Nice. That was an A plus. <laughs> That's probably your best joke so far. Well, for you, I think that Cassie would disagree. Probably, yeah. but you know, whatever. I don't know. I Cassie is my partner who I've been with for like nine years, and I do not know her taste in jokes at all. Like, I'll make a joke that I think she'll love, and she's like, meh. And then I'll make a really stupid one that is just kind of tossed off. And she's like, that's one of your best jokes of all time. And I don't know how to feel about it. (laughs) Yeah. And she's enjoyed many of my jokes, which I think is an indicator of her excellent taste. Yeah. She really likes your jokes. I don't know. I don't know what... what, uh, One time I was working on a project of writing down jokes that I made up. And then (laughs) writing like two page explanations of why they were very funny. And then I was going to put that out as like a joke book. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, it was like painful and tedious to write because it was like trying to stay in that mindset of like over explaining a joke to that degree was really difficult. Yeah. But I think it would make a good like joke a day calendar, like a quick little joke and then an over explanation of the joke. Anyway, um, we were pretty sure that Megan started last time, so I'm going to start this time. But okay. I could be totally wrong. Yeah, actually, you were pretty sure. I was pretty I have sure. No memory. Okay, I was pretty sure, like seventy thirty, maybe okay. sixty forty, and Megan was totally it's zero like zero. I've never been yeah. Here <laughs> It's like you just came into existence, yep. you popped in, and yep. it was like, here we are. Here we are. So, I brought a quite a little variety this time. Interesting, considering my selections, but do proceed. <laughs> so, book one is called A Movie Making Nerd okay. by James Rolfe, who's probably better known as the Angry Video Game Nerd, 
on the interwebs. Um, and he wrote a memoir and I read it. And what's it called again? A movie making nerd. Okay. Um, he's, he's kind of a, he's like an amateur filmmaker. Okay. Um, that's kind of how he started and that's kind of what his, where his passions lie. Okay. So it's a lot about that stuff. Okay. Um, the second one is a book called NBA Jam about the game by the same title. Um, but when you say game, I assume you don't mean basketball. I mean, yeah, there's a, a video game, sorry, called <laughs> I guess that is confusing. <laughs> it's about the game, basketball. <laughs> I have to tell you, so we just did uh, Cassie's Office. Always does like a, a Final Four brackets thing. What do you call it? March Madness brackets. Mm -hmm. You could tell how into sports I am because I'm like, what do you call sportsy guy. the final fours thing? <laughs> um, and so we we always have to come up with some way to pick because I know nothing about sports. Like last year I did, I looked at the mascots and decided which would win in an actual fight in like nature. You know, if you have a Trojan versus an Eagle or something, I'm like, okay, the Trojan would probably win, you know. Most likely, unless the Eagle got a real good eye shot in. Yeah. If the Eagle attacked when the Trojan was not expecting a fight, it could be possible. Yeah. Um, some of the, you did have to get creative sometimes where you'd be like, I mean, I guess if a turtle bit this guy and it got infected, <laughs> you know, I don't know, <laughs> someone has to win this fight. Um, but this year what I did was I picked... I picked based on uh, in any matchup, which school was closer to a tour stop for the band Ghost. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I'll assume that's going to be the winner. Wow. So I put my, my brackets in the hand of Papa Emeritus IV and it wasn't a, the worst decision, but it wasn't great. It wasn't a winning prospect. Cassie's was the worst. She went with whichever school was closer to a target, <laughs> and she was out almost immediately. <laughs> Interesting. I wonder if that has some deeper meaning. That's what I wondered. I was like, yeah, maybe they're all screwing around shopping a target yeah. instead of practicing basketball. We all know what it's like to go into target for one thing, and then you stumble out five hours later confused and with a cart full of stuff. That's what, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it was surprising. It was kind of interesting to hear there were like some campuses. It was like Target is literally across the street. And I was like, whoever owns that Target made a good decision. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um. Anyway, making nerd <laughs> NBA Jam. NBA Jam. Um. This is part of a series of books called Boss Fight Books. They're really short. Uh. They're kind of like an in-depth look at one video game or another. Okay. They're all different. Like they're all written by different authors and they all have very different feel. And, you know, some of them, they all function very differently. Um, so NBA Jam is the one I, I picked. Okay. But also to kind of talk about the series. Okay. Um, and the next one's called Refuse to Be Done by Matt Bell. Okay. And this is a writing book, kind of a how-to book. Um, but I picked it because it's a little different from normal writing books because it's the first third of it or so is more normal about how to like write a novel. Um, like if you had an idea or you kind of like had some false starts, but the uh, second and third third, <laughs> why does that sound so weird? <laughs> third third of the book is about um, finishing a novel. 
So it's kind of like, okay, maybe you've got like a rough draft or you've got like two thirds of a rough draft. Everything's about thirds today. And you, but how do you finish it? You know, and like how, what are some techniques to get you over that? Okay. Um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting, different take on that whole okay. how to write thing. And the last one is called Fantastic Four Full Circle, which is a graphic novel by Alex Ross okay. featuring the Fantastic Four. And uh, it kind of retreads an old story, but puts some new life into it. Okay. Those hmm. are my my choices. I am going to start with Movie Making Nerd. Okay. So Movie Making Nerd is about James Rolfe, R-O-L-F-E, uh, who's best known as the angry video game nerd. He's kind of like um, the first wave of like people who were famous on YouTube. Okay. So this was like back in the Wild West YouTube days where it was like, I think the upload limit was like seven minutes or right. something. Um, and he got famous for, he uploaded a few reviews of old video games. And it's kind of fascinating because in the book, he doesn't talk about that period of his life a ton, I think, because that has been explored thoroughly online at this point. Mm -hmm. But, um, he talks about how when he started doing it, it was, the concept was funny. It was like a humorous concept to think of someone doing a review of a game that was like 20 years old. And like, you know, talking about it like it had just come out or something. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I thought it was funny that this adult man would still be so angry about this game that he played as a child, you know, and that anger has carried through. <laughs> and I was like, that's almost kind of like a standard form of entertainment these days. Yeah. Like if you get on YouTube and look for retro gaming and stuff, everybody does it. You know, it's like not unusual anymore. But anyway... Um, it's, it's like a memoir about his life, you know, so there's some young childhood and then there's a lot from when he was in high school and college. Um, he went to a, like, a special needs school, um, because he, I don't, I don't know if he was ever diagnosed in any way or like, he didn't say specify in the book, but it was like. He had some appointments with a school therapist and was like, well, he's really good at puzzles and stuff, but he's not like emotionally he's different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and he would have been growing up in the late 80s, early 90s. So they were like, let's put him in a, a special school. But it seems like that worked for him and he enjoyed his time there. And there was quite a variety of people who went there. Um, he ended up leaving, though, because... He liked the special school, but he well, he was like the primary driver for leaving. Keep in mind, I was 15 years old, was that there were no girls there. <laughs> and he's like, I wanted to talk to a girl. <laughs> and I was like, you know, that's not a, that's not an unreasonable thing for a 15 year old to think like. <laughs> I don't think he's probably alone. Yeah. Those feelings at that age. Not unusual yeah. to be like, I would just like to speak to a girl at some point. <laughs> that would be nice for me. <laughs> the option would be good. Yeah, I would appreciate it. Um, then he went to college. He went to film school and uh, he got in some trouble there. It wasn't really his fault, but kind of, you know, and he talks about that quite a bit. And then. He talks a lot about um, at some point he made the angry video game nerd movie and it was kind of 
fascinating to read about because I would describe it as a big budget movie made with a small budget. Okay. So like it was super ambitious. They wanted to do all these things. You know, they had all these special effects shots and stuff. But I think they had like $200,000. And he's very open about like the many mistakes that were made. Um, he's like, for example, it had never occurred to me that you should, if you do, it was crowdfunded. And he's like, it never occurred to me that if it's crowdfunded, you should have your crowdfunding end like at the end, at the beginning of the financial year, because that gives you the year to then spend the money and then do um, deductibles and stuff like that. Ah. Is that what you call that? Deductible? Yeah. Tax deductible expenses, right? Because if you're making the movie with the money, it's not just income. Right. Some of it's deductible. Right. And he's like, but if you get all the movie and he's like, or get all the money and he's like, ours ended about two weeks before the end of the year. Oh, no. So he's like, that basically was just pure income. And I had to spend about a third of it right back in for taxes. Yikes. <laughs> and he was like, no one had ever, I'd never considered that before. Yeah. Good advice for anyone considering making a movie. Definitely. Or doing a big crowdfund project. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's the time to do it. Um, just other like weird things like that that you would never think of. So it's it's fun to to read because you're kind of reading about the process of like making a big movie. Yeah. But how difficult it is and also how there are just so many things that you would never think of in a million years. You know, like I wouldn't think of this. I wouldn't think of that. You know, he was saying like um, they filmed it in Los Angeles because he's not from there and isn't particularly a fan. Mm hmm. But he was like, it's much easier to find places to shoot there and to find actors and to do all that stuff. But there's a 30 mile zone around Los Angeles. So if you shoot outside the 30 mile zone, you have to get a hotel room for everybody, like the actors and the people working on the crew and stuff like that. Mm. So he's like, so it, it really does limit you in a weird way of yeah. like what you can and can't do. Huh. Just lots of little stuff like that. Yeah, that's interesting. And it gave me a great appreciation for like what he managed to do with what he had, yeah. like the resources uh, to the outcome. It's like, oh, okay. It brings it into focus because I think people find it really easy to criticize. Like, this yeah, movie was looks so cheap and yes. you know, whatever. But it's a reminder that it's not an easy thing to pull off. Yeah, I mean, if you have a total budget going in of $250,000 and then you spend a third of it on taxes. Yeah. And then you're like, I don't know, what did Avengers cost to make? Like $500 million probably? I think that, <laughs> that doesn't sound wrong. And you're like, the scale here is so wild. Yeah. Anyway, part of why I wanted to talk about this book, though, is I think um, a lot of people, even if you know, you're not fan or you're not familiar or whatever. Probably a lot of people know someone who is a fan of this guy or like who knows about this guy. And um, I think this is a book that's going to get a lot of people to read who don't normally read a book. Mm -hmm. You know, like this will be a book this year that I think a lot of the readers of that book might not be people who read books all the time. Right. Um, and so for that reason, I, I love it. I also, um, you know, I read some reviews on it on Goodreads and stuff, and 
people are like, oh, he needs to hire an editor and whatever. And like, there are a couple typos and stuff in it. It's really not bad, though. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if you think this is a bad like self-pub book. You haven't read enough self-pub books. I have so many things to show you, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> let me introduce you to my friend Charles Hinton. <laughs> oh. oh, he comes back. <laughs> But, you know, I just I, I want to encourage people who see that to tell them, like, you know, this isn't like a book to make a film analogy. Right. There are movies that are bad because they're there are movies that are cheap. And it's like you could tell, like, they didn't have budget for this. They didn't have budget. But it's like thoroughly entertaining. Mm-hmm. It's good to watch. Like, you'll have a good time. And then there are movies that are like thoughtlessly slapped together and just like a cash grab and like mm-hmm. terrible this is that first kind where it's like lovingly made and it does have some rough edges here and there, but overall you're like, you'll be fine. Right. You're not going to be like confused about what's going on. You're not going to be frustrated when you're reading this. It's just like, he's not, um, he's not a novelist. He's not a graduate of an MFA program and it doesn't sound like it. And And it shouldn't have like a whole department of copy editors and right. It seems like he probably wrote it and edited it and then I think had a couple people, yeah. you know, work on drafts and stuff and that's it. So I, I did also want to just say like as an indie book, it's like, it's good. Okay. It's enjoyable. Don't let the, the negative scare you off of it. And uh, if you're thinking about reading it, I think you should go for it. If you're not familiar with the guy, I don't know how interesting it'll be to you. Um Unless you're interested in film, it sounds like. Yeah, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, um, definitely the final-ish section, maybe the second to last, the penultimate section is is probably your jam. (laughs) That's where he talks a lot about making the movie and how that all worked out. So, yeah, it kind of does fit in with like Robert Rodriguez, uh, Rebel Without a Crew was kind of similar feel. Um, Lloyd Kaufman made some make your own damn movie. He's the trauma guy. Okay. You know, I would put this in there with those kind of indie filmmaker books. Cool. So there you go. All right. All right. I'm ready. Okay. Buckle up. (laughs) I got a weird one this month. All right. I'm Um, ready for that. I'm going to preface this by saying, and I, I think I've spoken about it on the pod before. And I know, you know, that I've been in a bit of a reading slump because I was on uh, an award, a book award committee for a few years that had me reading a very high volume of books that I wouldn't necessarily normally choose to read for myself. And it burned me out a little. I'm not going to lie. Yes. I'm aware of, (laughs) it was like Megan's reading arc was like, you were a well above average amount Mm -hmm. of reading, then got on this committee and we're doing a, an unreasonable human amount of reading mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fell into a slump. After. Yes. Fell into the abyss. Yeah. As I like to say, which kind of seems, uh, it makes sense. Yeah. I think it's reasonable. Um, but I've, I haven't been wanting to live in the abyss. I've been trying to find my way out of the abyss. Right. Um, so that's just to set the scene for, for my picks for what's about for this to month. happen here. Number one is burn for me by Alona Andrews which is the first book in the Hidden Legacy trilogy. Number two is Diamond Fire by Alona Andrews. 
<laughs> which is a novella that comes in between the first half and the second half of the Hidden Legacy series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number three is Sapphire Flames by Elona Andrews, <laughs> which is the first book in the second trilogy of the Hidden Legacy series. <laughs> Okay, wait a minute. First book in the second trilogy. So we have like a connected, it's like a a one series, but formed of two different trilogies. Before we get into this, should I have you do your fourth book? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Number four is Clean Sweep by Elona Andrews, (laughs) which is the first book in the Innkeeper Chronicles series. Okay. Because I ran out of books in the Hidden Legacy series. So let me get this straight. I think we have book one in uh-huh. some series. Hidden Legacy. Hidden Legacy. Book 1.5? 3.5. 3.5 in Hidden Legacy. Mm-hmm. Book four. Four in Hidden Legacy. Yeah. And then book one. In Innkeeper Chronicles. In Innkeeper Chronicles. <laughs> yes. Which is all to say that I have busted out of the abyss. But only for this author, apparently. In one very specific way. Yeah. You know what, though? I'm going to call this like, it's like, um, there's like this barrier. And it's like, well, you know what? Ilona Andrews busted out her. Yep. Uh, uh, there. there. It is a husband-wife team. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I was just sorry. I just spaced out for a second because I was trying to imagine co-writing a book with your spouse. (laughs) That sounds like a total nightmare. They have written a lot of books. I I just believe for me picturing myself arguing with Cassie about like the fart joke stays in. (laughs) It's like the fart (laughs) joke is not staying in. You could just take my name off the book right now. (laughs) You could just take my name off the book. (laughs) Anyway, okay, so. Uh, they, mm-hmm. you know, if there's this barrier, it's like they've put a pinprick in it. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And the reading can come rushing it, yeah. in. This, uh, I went from reading like two, three books a month, which I, I, I need to preface. I realize for a lot of people, that is a lot of reading, mm-hmm. but I am a weirdo mm-hmm. who was reading about 120 plus books a year. Right. So I was reading like 10 books a month right. on average. So for me, it was very slow. Right. Um, and so now, and now I, I come to this series and I read, I'm on my eighth book this month. <laughs> so I'm back to like my pre-slump numbers. <laughs> Well, I guess we should probably start with <laughs> book one of the fire... Hidden Legacy? Yeah, Hidden yeah. Legacy. So yeah, book one is called Burn For Me. Burn For Me. That okay. one. All right. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I apologize. I realize this is unconventional, no, no. but you know, when you bust out of the abyss, you go with it. I love it. Yeah. I'm Personally, I'm a fan. This is uh, the emergence of what we call Chaos Pete, who's just like... <laughs> Yeah, any any drop of chaos that can go into the mix, I'm in. So yep. I I appreciate what's happening right yeah. now and I'm all in. I mean, I have to admit there was a part of me that was like, I should look for something else to read so I have something different to talk about on the podcast. But I just wanted to read these and I <laughs> wanted to read them a lot. And I was like, forget it. I'm just going to go with this. <laughs> you know, the whole thing with this show has been like, you know, sometimes my taste is more offbeat. Sometimes your taste is offbeat. And so I feel like this is like very in the spirit of what's happening here. All right. It's like, yeah. In in this case, you're 
taste has been offbeat in that it's been for this month very narrow <laughs> very in terms narrow. of author selection who knows how long that's gonna go i have all of the innkeeper chronicles and then the kate daniels books to get through so next month it's like elona andrews the revenge yeah you <laughs> never know four more i'm not gonna count it uh i'm not gonna count it out <laughs> i think i brought didn't i one time bring three jeff strands in you did. One, so <laughs> you always got to be a one-upper yeah <laughs> you know i i like to keep you on your toes all right. All right. So Burn For Me by Alona Andrews. Uh, it's the Hidden Legacy series, which is, I don't know if you would refer to it more as an urban fantasy or a paranormal romance. Um, it has elements of both. I think it's probably more urban fantasy in that generally a paranormal romance is going to have a happily ever after in every book. Mm. And this book does not. Okay. Uh, so the main character um, is Nevada Baylor. And I should say, like, this takes place in a world that is pretty much identical to ours, except right around, uh, right before World War I, they uh, identified some kind of a serum. The I think it's called the Osiris serum. And if you take it, one of three things will happen. <laughs> Either you will immediately die, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you will develop some sort of bizarre power and mm-hmm. then die, or you will develop some magical ability that changes the uh, makeup of your DNA and then you have magical powers that you pass on to your descendants. Okay, wait. So you'll die. Yeah. You'll develop- it'll, it'll change your DNA and you can't sustain it and you'll die. Okay. Or you'll develop some sort of crazy power that you know you can't sustain and then you die. Oh, okay. So like you have some weird power that burns out your body or something. Yeah. And- destroyed okay yeah this or, is very much like the inhumans okay i'm in all right the inhumans have this thing where they basically when you have i don't know you turn like 12 or 13 okay they expose you to the terrigen mists and some it might give you incredible power it yeah. might not do anything or it might turn you into a monster okay so yeah it's similar except that uh you know you you may become a monster, um, but you'll probably die, or right. you like two out of three chance that you'll die. Okay, but uh, you you know if you become super powerful, people were like it's kind of worth it. So they were just willy nilly taking this Osiris serum <laughs> all over the place. Sure, and then there were a bunch of people who were super super powerful and maybe not great people. <laughs> and you know you have World War One, and you know ah. you have all of these people with like. They can shoot flames, you know, or control fire or whatever. And everyone was like, maybe this isn't a great idea. And so they locked away the remaining samples of the Osiris uh, serum and were like, nobody's going to take it anymore. Okay. But you still have all of these people with powers and they're passing them on. So Mm. now you have people who have powers and regular humans who don't have powers. Mm Mm-hmm. So you have um, the main character is Nevada Baylor, and she has powers. She can basically tell if you're lying. Like if you tell her a lie, like something in her pings, and she's like, that's lying. Mm. But not she doesn't tell a lot of people. It's like she comes from a family that, you know, they they aren't part of one of the houses. They're, you know, they have these houses that are established and they're known they're documented magic users and they document how strong their powers are and all of this stuff. She's a private detective. Okay. So yeah. Telling lies. She keeps it low key. She keeps it low key. And she doesn't have a power where it's like, well, you're, 
Your head is a flaming skull where right. the flame doesn't consume the skull ever. Exactly. So obviously. <laughs> right. And, you know, she, if she doesn't tell anyone, they can't exactly see it. Like she right. just could have uncannily good, like she can read people or something. Right. But she can actually tell if you're lying. And so she gets called in some the there's a bigger company that owns her family's debt. Um, and they're also private detectives. And they call her in because they have this very difficult case. There is a runaway fire magic guy who he like can melt steel like he's super super powerful and he's running rampant through Mm. houston Mm -hmm. and they have been hired to take care of the problem but they it's going to be messy to impossible to do and so he calls in this little detective agency is like we're we're subcontracting it to you (laughs) (laughs) and if you refuse it then we uh close down your company because that's a condition of of you know Mm. of this loan okay so she has to take it basically gotcha and in the course of trying to find this guy and get him to return to his family which is what they want um to try and avoid prison Mm. um she runs across this other magic user who's infamously known in the world he's known as mad rogan uh, because he's like one of the most powerful people he's a telekinetic He's known as the scourge of Mexico (laughs) because there was this war in Mexico that didn't happen in our world. It happened in theirs because their history is different. Mm -hmm. And he basically like destroyed an entire city. Okay. By himself. So cool. And so they end up kind of out of necessity teaming up because he wants to find this fire guy because his cousin is mixed up with all of this. Mm. And she wants, she needs to find him to save her family's business and livelihood. Okay. And so that's the, the setup. Um, they're action packed and funny. And there's a romantic, you know, plot line that goes through the trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I found them obviously delightful and addictive. <laughs> Sounds very comic booky. Yeah, I think it would make a it would make a good like Marvely type movie. Yeah, you could adapt it into a comic book pretty easily. I think. Seems like this is this seems like it should be made into a movie because it's like comic book movies are still a big thing, Mm -hmm. and I feel like rom coms are like kind of struggling to find a foothold. Still, they're not making any good ones. Is the problem? Yeah. And so, like, this could be the gateway, yeah. you know, that, like, takes it back. And it's like, let's take some of this comic book movie fame and, like, push it into yeah. the rom-com arena. People who like, you know, romantic storylines still like stuff to happen. Yeah. 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 I'm sure they still don't mind seeing, like, a, you know, fireman yeah. knock down a building. Well, like... the Nevada Baylor is a great character. Like, watching mm. her, you know, come into her own and, like, it's it's pretty great. Do you think it would be good to know if people were lying or would that be a curse? I think it would be difficult, but I think it would be kind of great. Yeah. Because you wouldn't have to necessarily find out what the truth was, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, that, I think this is the thing is like, my first thought was it would be horrible because then anytime someone was complimenting me and didn't really mean it, I would know. But I was like, maybe you just have low self-esteem and people do compliment you genuinely. And so then if you found that out, you'd be like, oh, okay. it's possible that you would find out people liked you more than you thought. Yeah. 
or. <laughs> well, and I saw this clip on social media and it was this guy talking about how people say that, you know, sometimes to avoid hurting people, you have to tell lies. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't believe that. I think that you can tell the truth to people, but it's a matter of when. Yeah. So he said, I went to a friend's play and it was terrible. And I went backstage after and she was so excited. And that that is not when you say this play was terrible and here's why. <laughs> right. So she said, what did you think? And I found a true way to say like, it was amazing seeing you up there and you were doing your thing and I'm so proud of you. And, you know, he's like, all of that is true. I am telling her the truth. I'm so proud of her. And I know she worked hard and it was great seeing her up there. Um, and that was what I said that day. And then later on, we had the conversation where I was like, here, here are the parts of, you know, what I struggled with, you know? <laughs> yeah. And at that point, she had come down off the high of performance. And sure. so she could listen to it and say, like, yeah, you're probably right. But, you know, you don't have to hurt someone's feelings to tell them the truth. And a lot of it is timing. And I think that that's true, too. I think that, yeah, that is probably true. I guess it's just like, I just wonder. Yeah. Because I feel like my first instinct would be like, yes, just because I'm like, eh, yeah, any superpower, fine. I'll try it. Yeah. But then I'm like, I don't know, like maybe, I think what I would have to do if I had this power is just, I would never ask people questions like, how did I do? I would right. just never ask. Yeah. Because I'd be like, don't put anyone in the position. Yeah. It would train you to not ask questions you don't want the answers to. Exactly. Yeah. I would have to think about the questions I ask because I'm like, if the answer to this question is not to my liking, is that going to break? How me. terrible? <laughs> <laughs> Scale of one to 10. If this is going to yeah. make me put me down to a two, then I just need to yeah. not ask the question. Well, and the character herself, she's in a place where she's like, I can always tell when people are lying. So I refuse to lie. Yeah. So when people ask her questions, even when she wants to lie or it would be more comfortable or save her embarrassment, she doesn't because mm. she's like, it's not fair that I can tell when people are lying. And if I lie to them, like, it's kind of a jerk. Thing. That's quite a code of ethics. Yeah. She's cool. I really like her. Obviously, I that's read the like whole a, thing. That's like also a very comic booky thing. Yeah. Of having a sort of. I understand this code of ethics, but I'm like, I don't think I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I would resist throwing the Joker off a building. <laughs> I think actually she does say that like she would tell a lie to like prevent harm from coming sure. to someone, obviously. But I think that makes sense. Yeah. This just has me thinking now about like the ethics of asking a question that puts someone in a position to lie. Because it's like, yeah. whose fault is it really? If you're in a terrible play and then you're like, what'd you think? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, mm, well, yeah. now I can either lie or hurt your feelings. And I did like reframing it, though, to say, like, <laughs> you don't have to say that play was garbage. You can say, like, I love seeing you up there. I'm so proud of you. Like, yeah, I like the framing of that. You don't have to lie. I just don't know. But if you also I'm don't have to hurt someone's feelings. Quick enough. Yeah. For that. Like, I feel like <laughs> my version <laughs> would be like. You know, I it don't was know. Something. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody like makes a makes a an album and you know they're like, What did you think? And I'm like, uh, the album art's really cool. <laughs> and they would be like, Oh I think I see this what is you're the, doing. Uh, the equivalent of she has a great personality. Yeah. And you're just like, ah, I see. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah. 
Well, that sounds pretty cool. Well, obviously I loved it because I, if I didn't, I would not have, you know, injected the entire series directly into my veins. Now, this sounds like a series so far where it's like the events from book one kind of lead straight into book yes. two. Yeah. And it, you wouldn't want to start no. anywhere but book one. Is no, that true? That is true. And it's the it's true even though there's a secondary trilogy. Um, I think you probably could start with book four if you wanted. It starts with a new set of characters, but they're characters you know from the first trilogy. Mm. So while you could start there, I would say you'll get more out of it if you start at book one. The the best experience yes. is book one, first trilogy, mm -hmm. then. Yeah. And I did not realize there was a between the trilogies novella when I read them. So mm -hmm. I read that after. I would say read it before the second trilogy because okay. it, um, it explains some things. Well, also, it sounds like... If you're gonna re if you're gonna enjoy the second trilogy, you would almost certainly enjoy the first trilogy. 100%. So there's no reason to skip yeah, ahead. Hundred percent. Gotcha. All right. So cool. Yeah, burn for me. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Do All you right. Need a yeah. Remind me, please. I have NBA Gym, the <laughs> book of the game. <laughs> not the, the basketball. Not of the thing. Not of the sport. Guys do and ladies do as well. I guess that is true. Many um, people. Yeah. Yeah, I I actually didn't know until this year, but I think women's basketball, college basketball, also has a Final Four tournament. I don't Final know if Four it's in March, March, though. Oh, I don't know it. Maybe I that's the problem. It doesn't have a good like alliterative yeah <laughs> title. Fun fact: I am the one of the least athletic people you will ever know, but I have a cousin who played in March Madness. That's cool. Yeah. Did they win? I don't think so. Yeah. He's incredibly tall. Uh, that doesn't shock me. Yeah. He's like almost terribly tall. That's really tall. Did I ever show you a picture of him try trying out a shower in a house they were looking at buying? <laughs> you did show me that. Yeah. It's like hitting him in the chest. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, he can't fit. He's like bent over. Um, yeah. His, he can't even like his shoulders would hit the ceiling of the shower. So I had a, a pair of friends who were moving into a place in college. And they were looking at apartments and the they were a male-female friend pair. And the female person was probably 4'9 or 4'10. And the guy was average-ish height, maybe like maybe even a little short to average, 5'9, okay. something like that. Okay. They looked at a place where the shower was too short for him. And she had looked at it first and was like, this place is perfect. And then they went and looked at it together. And he's like, no. <laughs> he was like, I know I can understand why you didn't realize this because you're very short. Right. But like, this shower is too small for me. I am not big. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is this doesn't seem right. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, if you're going to use something every day, you want it to be comfortable. I got to You know, I think it's like ideal... If you if you're like I always dreamed of being a tall guy, mm -hmm. I think ideal tall guy height, quote unquote, is like six two. Yeah, because I think after that you start running into problems. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you that um, my poor cousin, he, like I think he's he's too tall. Because what's standard door frame six seven something like that? Uh, it's got to be. I don't. know. I feel like it's six, less eight, than that because he was constantly like braining himself on, on yeah. doors. I know it's below seven, 
I think it's like somewhere between 6'6 and 6'10 is standard door height. So like every door in the world is like not Uh, tall enough for you. Kitchen lights, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of hang from the ceiling, those chandelier like you would run into those. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Seven feet's just too tall. tall. That's when it becomes inconvenient. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway. NBA Jam. (laughs) NBA Jam. Refused to be done. And Fantastic Four full circle. All right. Hmm. I'm intrigued by NBA Jam. All right. So NBA Jam by Rayanne Ali is a book about basically the development of the game NBA Jam. Okay. Um, Was this like a Nintendo game? Yeah. So for the unfamiliar, um, it started as an arcade game because this would have been in, I'm going to guess like... 93 94 okay um and it was uh eventually ported to it was probably super nintendo sega genesis and probably a couple other weird systems that were out there but and it made it made a huge splash um i think a few of the reasons were it was a four-player simultaneous cabinet in the arcade (laughs) so that was a pretty big deal but it also goes into quite a bit in the game of how they took a sports game but made it more fun. Okay. So like a lot of sports games that you play, like there are endless like FIFA soccer games and Madden games and stuff, and they're all like, it's so real. It's so much like the right. sport. NBA Jam was kind of the opposite, where they were like, What if basketball was a cartoon? Okay. You know, <laughs> like there were weird, you know, the physics are completely ridiculous you know like you go to slam a ball and the guy is jumping eight feet above the ring you know so instead of soccer you have rocket league yes exactly um there's a a feature in the game of you can be on fire so if you make three three three-pointers in a row you're on fire and every time you shoot the basket it's like flaming or shoot the ball it's flaming burns up the net and you basically can't miss when you're on fire. Oh, okay. And then there's a lot of like stealing the ball and shoving other players and stuff like that. They did a lot of stuff like added secret characters, which were really strange. Um, the secret characters, some of them were, most of them weren't basketball players. <laughs> they, they were people like uh, George Clinton from Parliament Funkadelic. <laughs> Uh, as well as Bill Clinton, who was the president at the time, you know, and like, sure. yeah, it was just, um, I'm trying to remember some of the other ones, but they were just, it seemed like they just, whoever was in the office that day was like, I don't know, George Clinton, like <laughs> Bill Clinton, maybe someone who's not named Clinton. I don't know. You know, all kinds of just weird stuff. Okay. It had different modes to it that you could play like big head mode <laughs> giant heads or you know big head tiny body mode and like just weird stuff okay um and so what's fun about the book is it kind of talks about how they took this game that could have just kind of been like yeah it's another sports game right like if you get a, a super nintendo and you look back at the games library I feel like there's two categories. There's games and there's sports games. And sports games, it's just like an endless parade of like the same thing. Right. Um, you know, one NHL is so similar to the next, to the next, to the next. Yeah. They just have different players. Yeah. And this was sort of like, let's make this a game. And like people who 
don't like basketball love NBA Jam, you know, or have mm-hmm. a soft spot for it. And it's like combining wrestling with NBA play, you know, and um, the book goes into just sort of how they developed it that way and how it kind of they were like, well, we changed this. So we kind of made this more ridiculous. And then we turned it up another notch and it was more fun. So we kind of just kept turning it up and didn't find a diminishing return. And yeah. It just got wilder and wilder. And the book even goes into, so there's an announcer on NBA Jam who like brings a lot of life to the game and has, you know, famous phrases like, he's on fire, you know, and <laughs> um, they have an interview with that guy and he's like, just, he's a very interesting personality and he's like a lively person and, you know, has at this point made a little bit of a cottage career out of being the voice of NBA Jam. He has right. a website. And you can go and pay him like a hundred bucks and he'll leave your outgoing voicemail message. Hey, or nice can, work if you can get it. I know. I was like a hundred bucks for like two minutes of work. Yeah. Um, for 200, he'll do like a podcast drop. And I was like, Ooh, maybe I should do that. Maybe yeah. we should get a new intro. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> it would be so <laughs> incongruous to be this like NBA jam guy. And then it's yeah, a, I have a feeling our audience is not necessarily the audience <laughs> who would know what that was. So, well, someone let me know if yeah. you think this is worth two hundred dollars. Yeah, but, if anybody um, wants to make a donation to the library for podcast <laughs> intro purposes. So, but I also wanted to talk about because it's from this series called Boss Fight Books, mm-hmm. and it's basically what happens is writers pitch ideas for a book that's based around a video game. Um, and so, I don't know, NBA Jam is probably like 29 or 30. Okay. And you don't have to read any of the others in order to read one. So okay. they're not like, it's not like a series, really. It's a set. Is it like, does it have to be a, like an old game? Does it have to be for a certain console? It's all over. Okay. All over the map. So like, you know, one of the first ones was uh, Earthbound for Super Nintendo. And then the second one was Galaga in the arcade which is pretty amazing. It's by one of my favorite authors, Michael Kimball. And about a third into the book, he starts writing about how he's realized he may have made a mistake in <laughs> pitching an entire book about a game that has no story and like every stage is essentially the same and like yeah. there's really not that much to it, you know? And he's like, very early on is like, I might have messed this up. <laughs> um but that's like one of my favorites. There, There's a, one about a game called Spelunky that is really good. It's by Derek Yu, who's the developer of that game. Okay. So he talks about how he kind of put it together and like all that stuff. There's one called Shovel Knight, which is about a, a pretty good game. And that's a lot about how crowdfunding works and like how some of the mistakes they made. And they were like... We got it crowdfunded this much, but then we promised these incentives for certain tiers. So then we spent half our budget on doing the incentives and it was kind of a nightmare. Um, But yeah, they go all over and look at there's some very old PC games. There's one called um, ZZT that I had never heard of, but it was like one of the first computer games that you could play but you could really reprogram it yourself and like create your own game basically using the assets from it Mm -hmm. um and it sort of turns into this like uh exploration of identity 
for the person who wrote the book and it was like kind of their first exploration into their own identity. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Okay. So some of the books like stick tight to the game. Some of the books kind of use the game to as a launching point to talk about their other lives things, yeah. or other things. NBA Jam very much sticks to the game. Okay. Um, but there's enough interesting stuff surrounding the game and like the game studio that made it and stuff that it's like, it's very entertaining. Yeah. Um, so highly recommend. I recommend it for, if you're into video games at all, it's great. If you have fond memories of NBA Jam, it's like 10 out of 10. Um, but if you're interested in something like that, I think this would be this would be probably my pick to hand someone of like if you want to try a book in this series, mm-hmm. I would try this one. It's very accessible. Um, it's easy to understand. You could probably watch two minutes of NBA Jam on YouTube and get the gist. Right. Um, and then it's just like the writer's enthusiasm really comes through. Like it's like. The perfect situation where a book is being written by a huge fan of the thing, but it's not like um, where you're like, okay, enough, we get it, you like NBA yeah. Jam, but it's also not like a you know scathing critique of right. something, you know. It's like it's like watching. So you know how when you watch somebody talk about a thing that they love and that they really yeah. are excited about, and even if you don't care, you kind of get into it with them. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Because you're like. I have my thing that I feel that way about. Yeah. That's kind of how this feels. Okay. So I think it's like a very strong version of that that d- is sometimes harder to find in books. Yeah. Um, so for that reason, too, I recommend it. It's like they found the exact right person to write that book. Yeah. <laughs> and is this something that's available through Interlibrary Low? Yeah. Or? Yep. Nice. So you'll have to go a little further afield to get it. But, but it's worth it. your time. Yeah. Nice. There you go. NBA Jam. All right. Okay, so I have my choice of the third book in the well, the between the the, the trilogy novella, right? The three point five, mm-hmm. the first book in the second half, okay, or the first book in a separate series called the Innkeeper Chronicles. Oh man, I think I should do the first book in the s- next series, right? Or should I do the first book in the second part of the the second trilogy? Up to you. <sighs> I picked the ones that I felt like I could talk about without ruining anything. So, All right, let's do book one from the other series. Okay, The Innkeeper Chronicles. I guess so, yeah. Okay. All right, so that book is called Clean Sweep. And <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't care. Judge me all you want. I, I am laughing at appreciation of this joke, that it's the Innkeeper. <laughs> Keeper Chronicles, and it's called Clean Sweep. And yeah. I'm like, already, thumbs yeah. up. <laughs> so this one, um, I would say it also probably counts a little bit like urban fantasy, but it also has some sci-fi elements. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of like, ma- I mean, there's magic, but it's the kind of magic where, you know, that quote that's like, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of magic. So okay. um, there are werewolves and vampires and beings with powers and stuff um but they come from other planets so they're kind of they're like aliens but they live on earth um and elsewhere but the this series takes place in texas i have a feeling alona andrews um that they are from texas because both series that i've read now are set in texas 
So the main character's name is Dina DeMille, and she is what they call an innkeeper. So an innkeeper is someone who has this house that's not, it's more than just a house. It, it has like, um, it's alive kind of, it's like a magical house. And um, it's uh, like a way station for these, you know, for the vampires and the werewolves and like these people from this aspect of existence. Like, okay. and uh, there are all of these strict rules where, if you're staying at the inn, you have to follow these rules and people can't bother you. And if you, if the innkeeper accepts you as a, a guest, then they are responsible for your well-being and all of this stuff. So Dina is starting, she's, she's reviving a, a inn that had gone dormant. It had been unoccupied for so long that it had like almost died. So she's bringing it back to life and she has one permanent guest and um, all of a sudden, all of these dogs in her neighborhood start showing up and they've been like disemboweled. Mm. So there's something, something in the neighborhood that's like doing stuff. And so she's walking back from the store because she has this resident who is, I don't know, I, 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 it hasn't been revealed like what she is, but she, um, she's definitely violent and like it's implied that she like eats people (laughs) (laughs) and she's, she's uh, dangerous because she's staying there because people, if she left, people would like kill her. She's wanted. Yeah. And she has a, she has a yen. She likes um, Funyuns and mellow yellow together. Um, Yeah. I mean like not, not like she likes Funyuns. She'll eat them while drinking mellow yellow, but not in a weird, like I dunk them way. Okay. So she's coming back from the store to pick up some mellow yellow for her guest. And um, there's a, been a, a fresh dog like murder. Mm. And she sees one of her new neighbors there who she knows is a werewolf because she's an innkeeper. And so she kind of, as an aside, is like, are you going to let this keep going? Like, I'm going to do something about this. They're in your territory. Cause she's supposed to stay neutral. Oh, and he's I like, see. I don't know what you're talking about. Crazy lady. And uh, it turns out that he doesn't know about like innkeepers and vampires and everything. So basically she ends up getting involved even though she's not supposed to. Mm -hmm. And it turns into this, like um, they're trying to solve like, what are these creatures who are killing all of the dogs and why are they here and how can we stop it? Cause a, they don't want to see all these cute dogs getting murdered. Sure. And B, the more it happens, like the more the chances that it's going to escalate and that attention's going to get drawn and then they're going to get exposed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but she has like a broom is like her magic thing. So like, <laughs> which is why the, the clean sweep thing, like she pulls uh... out the broom and then if she like, it's like almost like a magic staff. So if she like pounds it on the ground, she can revoke someone's welcome and they'll get like flung off the property. Like, <laughs> it's great. So. I just realized how annoyed I would be if I went to like a witch's house, you know, like a Halloween witch mm-hmm. and the floor was dirty. Oh. And I'd be like, I know you got a room. Yeah. What are you doing? Well, and like, it's great because this inn, I'm like, I want a house like this because it um, basically if she wants to renovate. She just goes to like Lowe's or whatever and buys a bunch of like, PVC pipe and lumber and she brings it in and the house absorbs it 
And then like <laughs> she can she can decide like I want my room to look like a like a ski chalet and it'll just like change. So as long as she provides the raw material. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. That's an interesting set of rules yeah. where it's like, well, you can't just wish it to be away, but if you provide the lumber. <laughs> yeah. If you if you give the raw materials, huh. then it can do stuff with it. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's like a, a weird mesh of like traditional monster-y kind of paranormal vampire-y stuff. But then the vampires are space aliens and like <laughs> they heal each heal themselves with like this weird technological thing and a, a lot of basil and mint. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah. So it's like it's familiar with some novel, like really unique world building. Cool. It's part of what I like about the way that they write and they have a humor, like a self-awareness to them, to the books that I think is fun. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. I like the monster stuff. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. And I'm, I'm so far, I'm just starting the Innkeeper Chronicles. Set, so I think there are six-ish books in that series. So you'll have to report back next month of whether you ultimately preferred the Innkeeper Chronicles or the other one? I feel pretty confident that I'm going to like the Hidden Legacy series better. Um, just because I, well, I don't know. We'll see. But I, I feel confident. And, you know, you always have that thing where, like, your first is always your favorite. Yeah, true. So I think that'll be. But I think they're most famous for their Kate Daniels series, which I haven't started. Mm. So, But that'll be after the Innkeeper. So you've even got their most, most popular mm. thing. Yeah, I'd actually had the book one in the in the Kate Daniel series on my e-reader for quite some time and just never started it. Hmm. Um, I started with Hidden Legacy because somebody that I listened to their podcast was raving. And I was like, well, I'm looking for something. Let me give it a try. And it hit right. I guess I'll try this. Why not? Yeah. Had so many other false starts this year. Whatever. It worked. <laughs> Boom. <I'm> so happy. <laughs> You're back. <laughs> Megan is back, everybody. Back in business. It's amazing. It lasts. Well, I'm I'm very happy for you. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to hear it. Yeah. It's exciting times. I mean, reading has always been like my favorite thing. So yeah. It, it's been a little bit of a disappointment to not feel like I want to read. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice to have that back. It's always strange, too, I think, when it's like something that's sort of part of your identity mm-hmm. because you do it so much and it's just. I've always done it. I was the kid who reads like I've always been the reader. Yeah. And like you've been a reader, you were a librarian, you worked in a bookstore, you yeah. know, it's kind of like parts of your identity have books. always swirled around yeah. books. So when you're like feeling like, I don't know if I'm feeling this right now, yeah. it's like a little identity crisis stuff. Well, and for anybody who's in their own reading slump, because I think this happened to a lot of people with lockdown. I think we all yeah. kind of were like, what's going on? I need to do new things. And, you know, you're under stress and you have worries. and so- Yeah. The way you've been isn't necessarily the way you are. Yeah. So I'll say for anybody who's in that position, my my advice for getting out of it is a to let yourself not read if you're not feeling like it, because if you force it, it just becomes like a chore and you like it even less. Mm. And uh, to give yourself permission to dip in and out of books and try them and wait for the one that grabs you. Because mm. that's like what that. ultimately ended up working is I would read things. I would read short things in a variety. And I finally found the thing that really grabbed me. Nice. Yeah. That's my advice for anyone who's struggling. I like that advice. I think that's good advice. All right. So. Yes. um, I had my four. 
So I talked about a movie making nerd by James Rolfe. Yep. Talked about NBA Jam by Rayanne Ali. Yep. Uh, I didn't talk about Refuse to Be Done by Matt Bell. Um, just really quick, it's kind of a how to write book. I would say it's very practical. It's um, you kind of have in the writing world your uh, sort of hippy dippy, you know, Woo-woo. the spirit yeah. things, and then the you have your things. The muse speaks to you. Yes. Yeah. And then you have your elements of style, which is like, here's what you do. And this <laughs> one's, <laughs> yeah, and this one's, you know, probably more on the elements of style thing, okay. but it's very practical. Um, and I think it does offer some options for people who have maybe had some false starts writing a book or have a book that it's like sitting in a big pile somewhere. And they're like, I don't even know how to get back into this. And like, how do you what do you do once you've written the book, but you know, it's not really a book yet. Yeah. Um, so I like that. I like that he wrote a book that kind of speaks to that part of it, because yeah. I think that's an under, uh, rated horrible thing <laughs> <laughs> that exists, <laughs> but I think he gives some, some options that are very realistic yeah. and very concrete and, uh, I like concrete would help a lot of people. Um, and it, I think it would be interesting if you're not like if you're a big reader and you're not a big writer, I think it's still pretty interesting because it is kind of a, a glimpse into like a process that a lot of people use. All right. And then Fantastic Four Full Circle by Alex Ross is so Alex Ross is a pretty famous artist. Um, he's done a lot of art for you'd probably recognize from um, Marvel's. And Kingdom Come for DC, he does like uh, beautiful painted images of characters. He did a big Superman book. Uh, by big, I mean act the actual size of it. All right. It's like, well, I don't know, 15 by 17 inches or something like that. It's okay. really big. Um, and he did a Batman and a Wonder Woman like that. And so this is, he did like a full issue of Fantastic Four. And he basically redid a story, an older story from the Fantastic Four days when they were always doing cosmic nonsense. Cosmic nonsense. <laughs> if I had a nickel. That was kind of the Fantastic Four's jam. <laughs> They're like, whoa, what is this dimension? They're always falling into a dimension or a time rift or a something. That's Fantastic Four. The thing is accidentally becoming Blackbeard on a pirate ship. <laughs> you know, they, they were, nothing was off the table. <laughs> In true comic book fashion. Yep. Um, what's cool about Full Circle, it's also like a large format book. And the art is like amazing. The color choice is like really uh, vivid. And it's kind of like halfway between a comic book and like a blacklight poster or something. Oh. Um, it's very, there's lots of sort of neons in it and okay. um, interesting color choices. And it especially ramps up. They go to this like other realm. And it's like everything there is wild and it gets like trippy at some points and whatever. Um, And the big thing about it, though, is I want to encourage people to read it in print because I read it digitally and I was like, I don't Why does everybody like this? You know, I was like, "Eh, it's not a big deal. So then I got a print copy of it to see what the and I was like, this is completely different experience. Um. Is it because of the colors or the... The colors and the size. I think the size is the big thing. Okay. You know, something that people 
is very underrated is in a so if you think of a standard comic book a two-page spread mm-hmm. um most people if you're reading on a tablet like let's if you're reading on a pretty large ipad what you would do is turn it sideways and read the two-page spread um landscape format mm-hmm. that's about 20 percent the size uh, that screen will be 20% the size of those two open pages. Mm-hmm. And so then when you've got an even larger format book like this right. is, I mean, it was probably 10 or 15% the size. Okay. And so the scale of it just gets destroyed and kind of the, it doesn't work. Visually, it doesn't work huh, digitally. Yeah. And it it kind of made me think like, this might be the future of comics in my opinion is like I think some things will still be in print and they'll be created in such a way that their the experience in print is really good and then I think some things might be created digitally for a digital environment you know and might be like panel by panel vertical right. scrolling and stuff yeah that yeah where you don't have like those double page spreads where you have to like yep. flip back and forth to see everything yeah, and like reading that on a phone is horrible. Yeah. It's impossible. Um, reading a normal comic book page is pretty difficult on a phone. Yeah. And so I'm starting to think like, but panel by panel, it kind of yeah. works. Especially if it's designed to be read yep. with distinct panels. Yeah, because when they write a comic, cool. you know, they think about these, like they do layouts and stuff. Because you're thinking about like, if I have a big reveal, I want that to be on the page turn, right? right. I don't want it to be a third of the way through the second page because then you're kind of seeing it before you get to it. Right. So you want it to be a big reveal like that. But so you could do that digitally, but just do it panel by panel. Yeah. And if you kind of plotted it out. So I think this is like, we're seeing a division happen right now. Um, So I think this is kind of a little piece of comics history in the making. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, but also it's just it's like really enjoyable in print. And it's even if you don't read it, if you just look at it because you're like, I don't need this nonsense. I could totally understand that. Um, but I think it's worth picking up just to flip through it and just to look at it. And it's like a, a really beautiful object. Cool. That, right. That's my four. Yay. All right. So my four. Uh, number one was Burn for Me by Alona Andrews, which we talked about. Uh, number two is Diamond Fire by Alona Andrews, which is the between the trilogy novella. So this is kind of like the passing of the torch. Mm. It um, takes the main character from the first trilogy, Nevada, and it's her wedding. And it introduce well, it doesn't introduce it. Like it's told from the perspective of her, one of her sisters, uh, Catalina, who is taking over the business. Mm. So you kind of, you get to see the wrapping up of Nevada's story, kind of. She still shows up in the second trilogy, but the focus is less on her and starts putting the focus on Catalina as she's stepping forward in the family and kind of taking over the business and all of that stuff. Okay. So that introduces Catalina, who is the main character in the second trilogy and book one of that trilogy is Sapphire Flames. Okay which is hidden legacy number four. Okay. And that is, she has, um, she has a very particular power. So when their family had to get tested to become a house for their own safety. And one of the things that you can do when you get tested, you, you're like the grade of your magic gets, gets tested. And if you are like the most powerful magic user, you're called a prime. 
So she tested as a prime, but they sealed her results so that nobody knows what her talent is Mm. because they wanted to keep it a secret. And so I'm not going to say what it is because the reveal is pretty great. Mm. But she so she is a prime and the head of her house now. But um, the general world doesn't know what her talent is. Um, And so she's kind of taking over the business and starting her own, you know, arching storyline that, that follows through the second half of the, of the trilogy, the second half of the series. Okay. And then uh, we talked about Clean Sweep, which is the first book in the Inkeeper Chronicles. Nice. By Alona Andrews. By Alona Andrews. <laughs> it's all Alona Andrews all the time at my house right now. There we go. Yep. That's perfect. <laughs> well, we did it. We did it. Another eight books for everybody. Yep. You're welcome. Yep. Welcome Even that we took time. Calling it, you know, separate books is a little bit of a stretch. You know what? If someone doesn't like it, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> Normally I say, leave a comment. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. Forget and it. My impulse is to apologize. But then the rest of me is so happy that I'm finally enjoying reading again that I'm like, I'm just going to go with it. I don't really care what anybody else thinks. Well, you know what? This time last year, we did our poetry episode, which like tanked the listenership. It really did. So uh, if you want to complain about it again, we could do another poetry episode. I'll do it. <laughs> don't. don't tempt us don't force me we'll we'll turn this car around yeah we'll turn this into an exclusive poetry podcast (laughs) so fast just only hurting us but we'll do it anyway there'll be lots of snaps we'll talk very softly yeah it'll be a nightmare i will over earnestly start to perform poetry in a very cringeworthy way i will talk about my books like this and i will say this and this and this And I will come up with a list of very pretentious words that I will sprinkle into the conversation regardless of what they mean. Yeah. And every poem, I will say, you know, most people think it's about this, but actually, it's about this. Did you notice that this was actually a veiled reference to this other thing? (laughs) It's about the human condition, Peter. Most people think it's a poem about walking through a wood And there are two different paths. But it's about life. Yeah. It's not really about the woods, dummies. (laughs) This is my new character, berating poetry teacher. (laughs) Who's sick of students just being like, yeah, so it's about walking around where there's trees and stuff and just, you know, smashes smashes a ruler over a desk and is so (laughs) enraged that they don't know it's not literally about that. Oh, God, we're going to have to do another two weeks on what metaphor is. Can anyone tell me what metaphor is? Anybody? That's it. Get out. All of you, get out. (laughs) Come back when you know something. The one person who understands metaphor and analogy in a world of completely concrete thinking. (laughs) Move to another dimension where there's no such thing as figurative language. But don't worry, we're not going to do that. Instead, I'm just going to talk about one author every episode, apparently. Yeah, fine. And I'll bring four different authors that, you know. It's a whole new world for me. I don't know what my reading's like anymore. Yeah. Plus, I mean, if this turns people on to this author, like, whatever. She's, Worth it. They're, they're great, guys. Yeah. I would be so curious to, like, talk to them about, like, how does this work? I need to know what the process is here. I heard an interview with another writing pair that was two friends and one of them did the draft and the other did the editing. And I thought that was interesting. That could work. I think that could work. I just can't imagine like plotting together and stuff. I'd be like, oh, 
I don't know. You know, they have those gimmicky mystery novels where it's like 17 famous authors and yeah. they each just take, like you write a chapter and then you pass the whole thing on and then the next person like fills in the next chapter and it ends up feeling a bit like people trying to trip up the people after them like, <laughs> and do something with this. Yeah. Yeah. And the aforementioned Jeff Strand's writing memoir he talked about, cause I think he did a book with like, he was one of four working on it. And he was like, you know, at some point, one of the other authors seemed to embrace a, let's just burn it down. kind of thing, And he was like, that made things pretty difficult for the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, We'll see you next time. Maybe we'll, yeah, enjoy.